Well, hello everyone. Uh, it's lovely to be able to share God's word with you this morning. And uh, just before we begin, I just want to make an announcement. Um, we are going to be making a shift um, with how we have been doing the online services. We have been doing for the for the last uh, over a year now. Uh, we've been doing the pre-recordings of the sermons, and then we've been also doing on and off uh, live sermons and Zoom sermons. But as we are shifting into a slightly different uh, uh, framework and dynamic, we are going to be stopping with the pre-recording ser- pre-recorded services or sermons, and we are going to be shifting into just releasing and airing the post-recorded uh, or the re- live recorded sermons uh, after the Sunday service. Uh, so what that will look like is for the next two weeks, we are still doing the pre-recording, but we are just letting you know, giving you a heads up. And then in three in three weeks time, we will be starting with uh, a new series, but also with a uh, sermons that will be recorded live. And then they will be aired the following Monday. So the Sunday, uh, unfortunately, we won't be airing or uh, releasing a pre-recorded sermon, but we will be releasing the sermon that was preached on that Sunday on the Monday morning that follows. And I hope that they will still encourage you. But uh, if you feel that you want to be part of uh, the live services, please Contact us, let us know, join in. We do encourage it. It is incredible to be able to meet face to face. And under the circumstances that we are currently in, we realize that there is a lot of pressure to try and decide whether you feel comfortable or not. So we don't want to put you uh, into a space that you feel uncomfortable. But we want to encourage you, if you feel that you are able to to come and join us for the live services, we are meeting Uh, And we would love to see you all again. Uh, But for those that are unable to, we encourage you to continue to stay tuned in and to continue to uh, be part of at least this aspect of our services. Uh, But as soon as you are capable, please come and join us. We, We miss you. We'd love to see you. But as for the next two weeks, we are closing up uh, the the series on the first book of Psalms. So we will be stopping for a while in the Psalms. So this is Psalm 40 this week and Psalm 41. And that concludes the first book of the Psalms. And then we will be starting a new series. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Uh, and then uh, as for, as I say, as for this week, we turn to Psalm 40. But before we do look at Psalm 40, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to look at a few other passages and then we're going to turn to Psalm 40. So hopefully we'll have some context and it will kind of fit all in uh, as we look at it. But let's pray and we will then turn to the Lord's word. Gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity that we've had to explore the Psalms. Thank you for the platform that we've had to be able to share it as we have been. And we thank you for change. We thank you that, uh, yeah, Lord, we are able to meet a little bit more uh, freely in some sense. But, uh, yeah, Lord, we pray that no matter how your word goes out, that it may still resonate and permeate into our hearts uh, and minds and lives. And that by your spirit, you continue to minister, minister to us. And Father, I pray that as we turn to the psalm today, that it may encourage us and remind us just of your extraordinary plan uh, that you have brought about through your son, Jesus Christ. 
And Father, we pray that uh, you may be glorified and that we may be filled with a certainty and a joy in knowing who you are as our Lord and Savior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we are going to kick this off, uh, I'm going to turn to Genesis 49 for us. And Genesis 49 is going to just help give us a bit of context. And this is really an incredible passage. There is these blessings that are given to the sons uh, of Israel, uh, the sons of Jacob. And as we look at these, the blessings, the one in particular that stands out and gives us context to the psalm uh, that we are going to be looking at uh, this morning. So uh, looking at Genesis 49, we pick up there in verse 8. It says, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You are a lion's cub, Judah. You return from the prey, my son. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Until he to whom it belongs shall come. And obedience of the nation shall be his. So, just to get a bit of context, <clears throat> this is Genesis. Uh, what makes up the Torah is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Old Testament. And the Torah is important for us because the Torah is packed not only just with law, as in the Ten Commandments, but the Torah is so much more than just. Ten Commandments. The Torah is all the instructions, all the teachings, all the laws, the promises, the things that God had told Israel to be a nation that would impact the nations. Um, just as a very brief and simple summary. But to see this in the Torah to highlight who uh, Judah is as a, a tribe, that Judah is going to be a tribe from which uh, rulers will come. And not only just any rulers, but as it says there uh, in verse 10, the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. There is this word that is spoken about Judah, and Judah is going to be the tribe from which the rulers of Israel will come. And it will never be removed from Judah. It will never be taken away from Judah. So here we have this incredible passage that tells us about uh, where essentially what we now know as the kings of Israel will come out of. But here in Genesis, part of the Torah, it is instructing, it is highlighting, it is telling us who the uh, where the kings will come out of and where the scepter will remain where this ruler's staff will be positioned. And then for us to jump forward, uh, and this is going to be a bit of a flashback in some sense for us, we looked pro uh, over the last year or so, we have looked at 1 Samuel. And I just want to glance there again for a moment because 1 Samuel is obviously about, the, the first section is about these two kings that rise up. The first is Saul, who comes out of the tribe of Benjamin, and then Saul, who then loses his kingship, and is and and David then takes the place of the new king of Israel, who is from the tribe of Judah. 
So that's helpful for us to just pick up because this is relevant for the psalm that we look at, uh, particularly Psalm 40, but also other psalms as well. So here we have in 1 Samuel, uh, turning to 1 Samuel 15, we hear these words of Samuel spoken to Saul. But listen to this. He says, but Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than to sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, I violated the Lord's command, and so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. And so the first king that was chosen by Israel himself was then Saul, who was out of the tribe of Benjamin. And as we saw in the Torah, in uh, Genesis through to Deuteronomy, there is highlighting through that this idea that a king would come out of Judah. And so Saul was not to be the king that God intended. Uh, Saul was the king that Israel wanted, the king that they desired. And Saul came about and he lost his position as king and he was rejected by God. On top of that, uh, it's interesting what this passage says as uh, Samuel uses these words that God doesn't delight in burnt offerings. He's not, he's not worried about the sacrificial system as such. He's, he's worried about the heart that engages with the sacrificial system. If you are all about burnt offerings and that is what you think makes you right, um, and you are not obeying God, then you're missing the point. As he says halfway through verse 22 there, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. It's better not to do anything wrong than to do something wrong and then have to uh, perform a sacrifice to be cleansed. And on top of that, uh, Saul then loses his place as king. He is rejected by God. Uh, and it is because he was rebellious. He didn't... He, he didn't listen to the Torah, not as just the laws, but the entirety of the laws. If Saul, in actual fact, understood and knew the Torah, he would have perhaps picked up on on Genesis 49, which highlights that actually he is not the one who will hold the scepter or the, the ruler's staff. In any case, it is for the tribe of Judah. Um, but that is for us. It's easier for us to maybe see that and not to be confused because we are, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. So we are able to look back and see throughout Israel's history what God's ultimate plan was. And it makes more sense. But for him, maybe it was difficult. We don't know. But this is helpful to just pick up. So we read Genesis 49, where we see that the the king, the, the ruler, the the one who will hold the scepter will come out of um, out of is out of Judah, and on top of that, we see how uh, God's desire is not for a life of people offering sacrifices, but a life of obedience, a life that is dedicated to God, that is committed to God, that uh, loves God. Um, and so, we are now going to then turn 
to this psalm that we're going to look at this morning. And I'm going to read it for us. And then we're going to quickly just unpack a few things um, that will hopefully help us to understand what is going on. So Psalm 40, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, who does not look to the proud, to those who turn aside to false gods. Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done and the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and uh, where, where to, were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be to many to declare. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears have opened burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, Here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. A desire to do your will, my God, your law is within my heart. I proclaim your saving acts in the great assembly. I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly. Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails within me. Be pleased to save me, Lord. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May all who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled at their own shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. And so this is this incredible psalm. Completely, feels almost completely different to last week's psalm. Uh, the Last week's psalm, we found the psalmist really in a pit. And it seemed really gloomy as the psalm ended by saying, just to highlight there, he said, Look away from me that I may enjoy life again before I depart and am no more. He cried out to God, this this life is so filled with hardship that he felt that God should rather just turn his face from him so that he could enjoy what was left of his life. But as we turn to this psalm uh, this morning, it starts completely different in some sense, because notice the first part that it says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he turned to me and heard my cry. So immediately the psalm begins with the complete opposite to what the psalmist cried out at the end of the last psalm, but also to create that contrast with these psalms lined up in the way that they have been. It helps us to see that this, that as the psalmist cries out, God often answers in ways that we may not always expect. And just to pick up on a bit of the structure of the psalm, just so you can feel it, maybe you heard it as we read it, 
But there seems to be almost two sections to the psalm. There's this division that can be made between the two sections. So verses 1 through to 10 makes up the first section where there is an immense amount of confidence that the psalmist or David has in the Lord. As he recognizes that the Lord is a God who has saved him, has delivered him, has rescued him, that desires a heart and obedience rather than sacrifices, as we kind of saw uh, when we read 1 Samuel 15. And then it shifts. In verse 11, it says, Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me, for uh, for troubles without number surround me. Now suddenly... He's no longer saved as he was in the first verse where God had heard his cry and saved him. He now is in need of salvation again. Notice even verse 2. It says, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. There is a contrast. As, As a psalm begins, it seems as though God has placed him on the solid ground. But as the psalm unfolds, it seems like he's crying out yet again. However, what sets a psalm apart from the previous psalm is rather than simply crying out, uh, he begins by what he knows. So if you want to try and understand what the two sections of the psalm really is all about, the first section, verses 1 through to 10, really highlights who the psalmist knows the Lord to be. And how does he know? How do we know anything? It's through experience. So the psalmist has come to experience and know God through past events. So what that's telling us is that the psalmist has once, in some point, at some point in his life, been in a pit, in the miry pit, as he says, uh, or slimy pit, as he has once been. And God has rescued him and saved him out of that space that he was in. What it is, we don't know, and it's not the focus of the psalm. But the Lord saved him, and he has a certainty in who the Lord is. Not only that, but he's also got a slightly different view of who God is. As we read in in 1 Samuel 15, there was an issue there with Saul, who tried to do what was right and say the right things in order to win God's approval. When I say do the right things, was observe sacrifices or try and do things that he seemed to think was the right thing. But David here highlights something different. This first king, right? He's not the the first king out of Israel's kings. He is the first king coming out of Judah. That's important for us to pick up. He is now God's God's chosen king, the one that God appointed and anointed as king. He recognizes that for a king to be uh, God's king requires someone who has the Torah. Okay, so notice just something for us to to pick up. He says in verse 8, I desire to do your will, my God. And he says, your law is within my heart. He recognizes that it is God's law, the Torah that is written in his heart. He understands God's incredible plan and purpose and picture, both law and love and relationship that God is calling his people into. And so that is written on his heart. And so that's really important for us just to pick up. And it's not about the sacrifices, as he says in verse 6, 
sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. And then the psalmist highlights even further in verse 7, Then I said, Here I am, I have come. It is written about me in the scroll. And so this is most likely, it's not to say for certain, but it's most likely that David is recognizing that it is written about him. He is a he is a son, uh, a, a cub, a lion cub that is coming out of Judah. Whether he is the one who will bring about obedience and, and change the course of history, uh, we he is not sure. But he is certain that what it speaks about is that the scepter and the ruling staff belongs to him. Because he is from Judah. And so there seems to most likely be that suggestion. If we can pick up on what the Torah says. What the law says. What all of those things that he has written in his heart. That he is aware of. So it's interesting as I said earlier on. Whether Saul realized it or not. We're not sure whether he knew that this was meant for him to be a king or not. Because he was out of the tribe of Benjamin. But here you have David who is out of the tribe of Judah. He, he knows it. He knows that this belongs to him, that this uh, this position, this role, this responsibility that God has placed upon him is is right. He is supposed to be where he is. And so for him to say that the scroll has, says speaks about me is to maybe most likely highlight that, that I know what the Torah says. I know what your word says. I know that I am from the tribe of Judah and I know that uh, you have intended me to be a king. But obviously here is an interesting context because here we have David saying these words and previous Psalm, we saw him in absolute despair. He was absolutely at in the pit and there seemed to be no hope for him. And here he is remembering how God has saved him. But there is again a shift in the psalm where it seems like once again he is needing salvation. So here's an interesting thing just to play around with in our own minds. You have David. You have this lion cub, this king coming out of Judah who is to wield the scepter and the ruler's staff. And here he sits and he is incapable of saving himself. He's incapable of doing the full extent of what Genesis 49 says. So just pick up, just flashing back to Genesis 49. It says, The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. And listen to these words. It says, Until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nation shall be his. The obedience of the nations is not this king's. Here's this king recognizing from where he comes, but here he sits. And notice the words in verse 11. He cries out, Do not withhold your mercy from me, Lord. May your love and faithfulness always protect me. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me. I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. And my heart fails within me. He is surrounded. Whether it is by just his sin. Which is one issue. So if it is sin. He is not entirely obedient. To the law of God. And therefore sacrifices is needed to atone for that. But on top of that. If it is people. The people are not yet obedient to him. 
And that's interesting, just to notice that, that he is surrounded here, whether it's by sin or by people, and he is afflicted. He is crying out yet again for salvation. He's once cried out for salvation because he's remembering how God has saved him in verses 1 to 10. And now verses 11 through to 17 highlights this reality that he is in need of salvation once again. So what the king at this point recognizes or perhaps that we can recognize in the king at this point, is that the salvation that comes about, even for him, is temporal. It is not permanent. It is not everlasting. It is just for a moment. And then he finds himself once again in the pit. And that's like you and me today. We cry out to God. We ask him for help. We seek him. And we need rescue from so many situations. And it lasts for a moment. And then we find ourselves needing help again. A situation never completely disappears, or if it does, another situation presents itself. And so we are so much like David in that sense. We obviously aren't like him as he is the king, he is a a messiah, he is from the tribe of Judah. But what makes him relatable on some level is that he is going through the process of calling on the Lord, needing help, needing rescue, needing salvation. And so do we often. Time and time again, we come back to this. But here uh, is something so amazing unfolding. But before we get to what makes us so amazing, just notice those last few words in verse 17 as well. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my help and my deliverer. You are my God. Do not delay. And so he cries out. He cries out for help. And in between that, you see that there are people also around him. So definitely there are nations, but maybe it's because of his sin. I I don't know. We don't know the extent of the psalm. But there are those that want to take his life. There are those that are angry against him or don't like him or are his enemies that want to put him to shame. And he needs salvation. The king of Israel, a messiah, one that came from the tribe of Judah, who seems to be obedient and aware that God's law, as his Torah, is written in his heart and he is obedient to God and that God doesn't desire sacrifices and yet he is still in need of salvation. Yet he is still needing to be rescued. This is David. He is fallible and broken and we see that. We've we think of him and we see how he fell and what he got up to. He was not perfect by a long shot. But there would be one, as Genesis 49 highlights, there would be one who would be obedient and would bring about the obedience of the nations. As it says, the scepter will not depart from Judah nor the rulers start from between his feet until he to whom it belongs shall come. It seems as though there is a significant one, one person that will come. And maybe that seems to highlight anyone who is in the line of Judah, but I want to suggest that it is most likely picking up that there is a specific one that will be able to truly do what needs to be done. And this we see then, this psalm we see uh, highlighted and fulfilled for us uh, in Hebrews as it unfolds and explains this passage for us a little bit further. So I'm going to read Hebrews 10, 
verses 1 to uh, one to 10 for us, and then I'm going to read the next section, and then we're going to close. It says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifice repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He set aside the first to establish the second, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You see, this is just a quote that uh, that the author of Hebrews is using here. He is quoting uh, the, the psalm, Psalm 40, and using those words that David said and saying that this is what Jesus said. He is the one who would come that would that would actually ultimately hold the scepter and uh, and have the ruler's staff placed between his feet. He is the one who would be able to do it perfectly. He is not only just the one who would be able to do it perfectly, but he would become the very sacrifice for that system, for the law, for the Torah, for all of those things that they know. Because that system as it is, is just a glimpse at what God desires, a perfect life, a life that is cleansed and pure and can come before him. And so Christ would enter as the son of David, who is from the tribe of Judah, here he would come, he would wield the scepter and the ruler's staff, and he would become the one that would save the world and bring the world into obedience under himself. And he would do so by becoming the very sacrifice for that system, that he would become the one, as it says in this, and by that will he... We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. And then the next section of Hebrews really just makes us so much more real for us today as well. Listen to verse 11 to 18. It says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. This is speaking about Jesus Christ. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he was made perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he, he adds, their sins and laws, acts, uh, I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. 
Christ has paid the ultimate price. And for us today, he affirms that in us and through us by his spirit at work in us. We have his Holy Spirit that is making this a reality. He is bringing about the sanctification of our lives so that we can hold fast to who Jesus Christ is. So that we can know that Jesus Christ is the ultimate atoning sacrifice. And so this is amazing for us today as we sit and reflect on Psalm 40. And just to weigh it up, we are in a space where we are, much like the psalmist, crying out or declaring in some sense uh, what he says in verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord and then he turned and he turned to me and he heard my cry. Today we are able to with certainty declare that, that we waited and God answered. But now we are in a new space. We are once again waiting and we are much like David in the second half of the psalm, but we are waiting. And this kind of waiting I just want to pick up on is a very interesting uh, use of the word here in the beginning of Psalm 40. He says, I waited, waited. The word is repeated and it's basically an emphasis. If I say to you, just sit and wait there, you would sit and wait and understand the concept. But if I say, wait, wait. If I add another weight, it is urgent. And there is this urgency, this desperation, this clinging on that the psalmist did. And that is where we are again as we wait, wait. We are waiting, waiting for the Lord to return, to bring about his kingdom once and for all. As Christ will return and call us home. So this morning... I don't know where you are and what's going on in your lives, but maybe you are standing on solid. Or maybe you are in David's position where he is perhaps in the second half of the psalm, crying out once again to the, to the Lord. And he's waiting again for the Lord. But may you know that God's plan has unfolded through history and it is still going to be completed. That as in Genesis, we are we see how he planned for his king to come out of the tribe of Judah. We see the unfolding story in 1 Samuel. We see this, exp- this expression uh, that takes place of David here in Psalm 40 as he recognizes both God's salvation, but also that God is a God who desires a heart that is dedicated and committed to him. But then we can also be sometimes lost in the midst of turmoil and difficulty. But to cry out to the Lord for mercy, because as we saw in Hebrews, that true salvation comes from our Lord Jesus Christ, who became the sacrifice, who is the king, who holds the ruler's staff and the scepter. And that as we see Jesus Christ, he is the one seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to call us home, to bring us into this king into his kingdom as we are called now we are his children we are adopted as heirs into this family into his people and so just to end with those words wait wait it is not an easy wait it is not a comfortable wait sometimes but may you wait joyfully with certainty with a absolute hope and comfort and yeah absolute joy that Jesus Christ is Lord and King and that he has come to do what 
David couldn't ever measure up to. But he came to do for us so that all things will come under his obedience and become placed under his foot as a footstool. And so here we are today declaring Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as King, as Messiah. May that fill you with joy today. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your incredible plan and purpose that unfolded through our scripture for us to see, but throughout time, that your Son, you, you predestined him for us, to die for us, to save us, to rescue us, and that all that call upon his name will be saved. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us the best and ultimate king, who is able to rescue his people. And even when he seemed to be defeated, hanging on a cross, he was not. Because he rose and he is living today. And we call upon Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the living King, who is the King of your kingdom. And so thank you that we can know you. Thank you that your spirit is in us, bringing about a holding on to that hope and that joy of knowing Jesus Christ as the true King and bringing about the sanctification of our lives that we may look more and more like you. And we pray and thank you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you have a wonderful day and continue to explore and contemplate just on that reality that Jesus Christ is the true King of Judah. He is the one who has come to do what David failed to do what we failed to do and that he is seated at the right hand of the Father and may that fill you with joy today. Have a lovely day and see you all next week. Cheers. Bye.